We begin a brand new series of messages today called Wrecked. From the book of Judges. Book of Judges is a story, theme, that continues to cycle. And it goes like this. Again, the people of God did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so he had to raise up a deliverer to rescue them. The book of Judges shows the Israelites, God's people, continually turning and running away, doing evil, so God needs to raise up a judge to deliver them from their evil ways. And so there's story after story of wrecked lives, wrecked moments. But the good news is this. The reason he raises up judges to deliver so that they can get back on the road again. That's the goal. That's the goal in our relationships. As we walk through this journey called sanctification, our desire is to always become more like Christ. When we fall down, we turn back to him and we continually progressively become more like him. And today's story is unique. Because there's only one account in this book where a woman walks onto the scene and she sees the country, the people, the lives wrecked. She recognizes that something needs to be done. So in light of Mother's Day, we are going to respond to the woman named Deborah. She's going to walk on the scene because the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and turned to their own wicked ways and he needed to raise up a deliverer. However... There's another primary person in this account that's supposed to be leading, that's supposed to be there, that's supposed to be lifting up and guiding the Israelites named Barak. He, however, is somewhere else, and we're going to see that here in a few minutes. Judges 2.10 says it this way. Just listen. It says that a whole generation was raised that neither knew God and what he had done for them. So the Lord had to raise up judges to deliver him. Imagine for a second. These were post-Exodus. These were people who had heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. These were people who had heard about all the battles that had taken place in the first five books of the Old Testament. These were people who had heard about the creation account. These were people of God. And now a whole generation is raised up that not only doesn't know God, but even heard about it. How could it go so badly so quickly? Because people did evil in their own eyes, and it did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So God had to raise up judges to get them back on path and slowly but surely get their footing secure and find relief and hope in a time of darkness. Even saying that, There are two primary ways that you and I live out our lives. And we get off track with one and we stay on track with the other. And in this account, you're going to see what I would say are two ways. Two people determining to live away for themselves and to live away from their God. You either live for your reputation or you live for your character. Let me explain that for a second. Every day when you get up. Every moment that you live, every decision that you make, every, every critical moment in your life, you will make a decision. Am I doing this for the applause of man or the applause of God? Am I living for my reputation, which in fact is living for the applause of man? Or am I living for character, which in turn lives for the cause and applause of God? Reputation could be defined this way. An opinion that someone else holds about you. Character could be defined as this. It's what you know to be true about you. Reputation is interested in applause of man. Character is interested in the applause of God. 
Listen to this. In Galatians 1.10, it says it this way. Paul, who wrote Galatians, said this. Just listen to this passage. He said this. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Listen to that again. Paul says this. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So if you're living for your reputation's sake, then you're not a servant of Christ. If you're living for your character, then you are a servant of Christ. Today we're going to see one person living for character, one person living for reputation. And we're going to see one person being empty and one person being satisfied. Grab your Bibles and we're going to turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 4. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Genesis, Exodus, Vitigus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Turn to Judges chapter 4. Hold your hand up and ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Judges chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. The question I'm going to ask you today, what matters most to you? Reputation or character? Stand with me and we'll read it together. Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Let's read this out loud. Ready, read. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harashev. You're going to murder it any way you say it, so there's as good as it gets. Verse 3. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoim, from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. You may have a seat. Sometimes the language in Hebrew really lends to helping us understand the story. This is one of those times. Let me just give you the definition of some of these names. The name Deborah, the prophetess, in Hebrew means honey bee. So every time you picture Deborah, think of a bee. Her name means honey bee. The name Barak, who is supposed to be leading the country, his name means lightning bolt. So picture honey bee, lightning bolt. You got Deborah, you got Barak. There's also a commander of the army that's holding God's people in oppression named Sisera. His name means in total disarray. So just picture, chaotic. No form or function or matter that's making sense. Just total disarray. So you have Deborah the honeybee. You have Barak the lightning bolt. You have Sisera who means in total disarray. Then you have this person by the name of Jael. J-A-E-L, a female. Her name means mountain goat. What a great name to name somebody, huh? And you're going to see how that comes into play. 
Then there's another person who appears on the scene, the last one that we'll pull in, named Heber. In Hebrew, their name means friend. So you have Deborah, honeybee. You have Barak, lightning bolt. You have Sisera, the commander of the evil army, total disarray. You have Heber, which means friend or ally. And you have Jael, means mountain goat. We should either, as Christ followers, we should either live to please God or live to please man. Which one will it be? So the cycle continues. Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so he needed to raise up a deliverer. Look back at verse 4 again. Chapter 4 and verse 4. They find themselves needing a deliverer. So look what happens. Verse 4. Deborah, the honeybee, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, the lightning bolt. He was in Kadesh at Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, total disarray, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. We either live for God or man's applause. Pull away for a second. There's some questions that surface for me when I open up this account. The people of God have been oppressed for 20 years. The Vietnam War lasted for 19. So picture for a second. Living, total oppression. Living, being attacked. Living under this rule of another general. This other kingdom that's ruling you. Oppression means there was cruelty. There were people killed. You were slaves. And so for 20 years, almost the length of the Vietnam War, God's people were being oppressed. Where's the leader? Where's the leader of these people? The text tells us that he is 75 miles away in a place called Naphtali. And let me tell you about this place. This place is called the city of peace. This is a place that people went to for peace. It's like, here's where the battle zone is. This is where you should be. He's at the Disney World Resort 75 miles away. What's that say about him? It lets you know that he was more interested in himself than he was his own people. However, God raises up Deborah, the honeybee, and says, go to Barak, who's vacationing and sipping tea over by the pool and, and Naphtali, and say, hey, if you come back here, I'll lure Sisera in your hand, and you will win. So Barak has a decision to make. But problem is this. Who was he living for? Was he living for the people and his reputation? Or was he living for God? So you have to ask that question. He's in the city of peace. Meanwhile, the Israelites, God's people, need a deliverer. Deborah has great faith in God. We know that because people went to her to settle judiciary concerns. She would meet at the palm. They would go to her. She would encounter God. She was the prophetess. She would give answers. And so she became the mooring point of direction and hope. So God spoke to her, go get Barak and tell him he needs to lead the people out of this cruelty, out of this oppression. So it's interesting when you see that account, what happens to him. He has a chance to step on the scene. Where does she receive her courage? She spent time with God. 
the mother of Israel. In fact, look at Judges chapter 5. Look what it says in Judges chapter 5 and verse 7. After this account, Deborah, the honeybee, wrote a song. And in verse 7, she says this. Village life in Israel ceased. Ceased until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a what in Israel? She arose a mother in Israel. She saw a need. Someone needed to step up. And so this woman steps on the scene and tries to lead her people out of this oppression. So, character or reputation. Character isn't concerned about recognition. And you will watch this woman who is, has little concern about recognition step on the scene, little fanfare. In fact, she's not mentioned after Judges 4 and 5 ever in the Bible. She doesn't care. She's more concerned about the applause of God than the applause of man. Look what happens in verse 8. She goes to Barak, and then this happens in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will what? What's it say? Help me out here. Come on, help me out. You got a Bible in your hand. Help me out. If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I what? Won't go. Now, what kind of wimp response is that from a leader of Israel? Think about this for a sec. I want to say, dude, man up. Leave your vacation resort. Come back here and lead your country. And so he says this, well, I'll go, Deborah, if you go. And the only reason he probably thought that is because he was a person who wanted the applause of man. And he knew that Deborah was a woman of God and that God was on her side. And he probably figured if I went alone, then I probably wouldn't get the applause of man and I might not win this battle because he had lived his life in a city of peace when he had supposed to be leading his country. He's supposed to be the lightning bolt. So she says this. Look what it says in verse 9. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a what? So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. I find it interesting here that Deborah decides to go. Barak is willing to go because Deborah is willing to go. And the truth of the matter is this. He was more concerned about his reputation. I believe this with all my heart. The only reason he left Naphtali in the city of peace is because he wanted to save face. He figured, wow, if I go back there, I know that she's going to be with us and there's a good chance we're going to win. And if we win this battle and she's with me, these people, they'll love me. They'll love me. It'll save face. Let me just say this about reputation. Reputation is very, very, very shaky ground to live on. He wanted to save. Let me also say this. We can be impressed with people from a distance. And reputation is shaped by what people think of you, but character shaped by what God sees in us. It's kind of like this. If you're a person of reputation, all you're worried about is what people think of you. But when the real you is exposed, character, you're trying to hide character and make them think and that you are more than what you are. Let me also say this about reputation. You can look good from a distance. If you looked real close at this face, a lot of things would happen. But you would see all the imperfections of it. 
And so from a distance, this face, this person called Barak looked good. And now he has a chance to continue to save face. So he shows up on the scene. He wanted to keep his reputation alive with these people. Character, though, is shaped by what and how God sees us. Let me explain. Back in 1999, when the Super Bowl was occurring in in, in our country, the Atlanta Falcons were playing the Denver Broncos. And if you're a football fan, the Atlanta Falcons should have won the Super Bowl. They had the better team. They marched right through the playoffs. They were beating their teams. They were throwing points up. I mean, they were favored. Denver, by all stretch of imagination, they weren't even supposed to be on the same playing field with them. That year, the Atlanta Falcons were a team to be reckoned with. During the week of the Super Bowl, each year during the week of the Super Bowl, there's many, many awards that are given out. But two days before the playing of the Super Bowl, an award is given out called the Bart Starr Award. He was the former quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. This award goes to the man in the NFL, the player in the NFL that best demonstrates moral integrity. So every year during the Super Bowl, someone receives the Bart Starr Award. It's a prestigious award. It's voted upon, and they come, and they have this ceremony, and this person receives it. A man by the name of Eugene Robinson received this award. He was a linebacker for the Atlanta Falcons. So two days before the Super Bowl, he's standing on the platform, and he's receiving the applause of man for moral integrity. Now, let me back up a little bit. This award not only is given to him, but it's given by a group called Athletes in Action a Christian organization that gives it. Eugene Robinson was a Christ follower. Eugene Robinson professed to follow Jesus Christ. So it made sense he would get this award because in their minds, from a distance, he looked like he had everything that they wanted. Fast forward two nights. Boom, boom. On the night prior to the Super Bowl, Eugene Robinson was arrested. He was arrested for soliciting an undercover police officer woman in a form of prostitution. So immediately the headlines just blared out. This Bart Starr, moral integrity guy, was arrested for prostitution. It put a rift between his team. Their team didn't even look like the same team. He got beat on an 80-yard touchdown pass. It tore it up, and his reputation was shattered in a moment of time. Barack is more concerned about his reputation than he is character. From a distance, he says, I need to go back and make and save face so I can still have the applause of men. What he forgot, though, is that God told Deborah and Deborah told him that since you want me to go with you, you won't get the glory that you want. It will go to a woman. Somewhere in the midst of his mental capacities, he had forgotten that. So the honeybee tells Barak, yes, I'll go, but remember, it would be a lot different if you went alone. The honor will not be yours. This desire to save face will cost Barak dearly. 
This would be a devastating blow to someone who surfaces and is more concerned about the applause of man and reputation. Deborah has a way of showing us how our choices in life have ramifications. So she packs her stuff. She goes with him. She's not concerned about who gets recognition. She just has the people's best interests in mind. She's a woman of character. Barack is a, is a man of reputation. Let me ask you something today. Let's pull away and ask some really personal questions. What drives you? Why do you do what you do? Why do you serve where you serve? Why do you work where you work? Why do you do what you do? Do you live for the applause of man that maybe someone will notice, wow, I did a good job? Or do you live for the applause of God that maybe never will get noticed on planet earth, but will one day in heaven? Do you say things like this? How come I don't get that and they did? How come I did the same thing and they, that family keeps getting all the attention? Do you constantly critique others in private to build yourself up in public? Do you struggle with not being up front? If so, you might have to ask this question. Am I living for reputation or am I living for character? A person of character trusts God. Watch what happens. Watch what the the honeybee does here. Look at verse 11. Now Heber, the friend, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree near Kadesh. Look at verse 12. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinom, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera, remember, total disarray, gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him to the Kishon River. So you have this picture. They're lining up, literally. Tanks, iron tanks against field grunts. So if you would look at this on a map and if you were looking at this battle strategy, this group should win because these are field grunts. It's just people coming after them. But what happens is Sisera gets attacked in the valley where there's water and they didn't have pontoons on their chariots. And so look what happens in verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord had given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. Verse 15, at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. I find it interesting here. This is a great victory. In fact, look what it says in verse, look what it says at the end of 16. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth, Hagayim, all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword and not a man was what? Now, for a man that wants the applause of humans, this is a good day. For a man that lives for his reputation instead of living for his character, this is a good day. He wins. Everyone's literally gone except one person. One man escapes. It's the commander of the army. 
It's the big deal. It's like, it's chasing down Saddam Hussein. It's like, if we can get him, it's like getting, if I can get Ben Laden, if I can get him, then man, I'll have all the applause of man. It's like, they'll celebrate me. They'll put me on the front page of the Jerusalem news. I'll be trending on Twitter right away. And so in Barack's mind, it's like, this is my chance. Even though all the army's destroyed, in his mind, because he's a man of reputation, if he could get the commander, the one in charge, he would win so much applause of man. Everything he did was based upon reputation. However, reputation forces us to keep people at a distance so that they can't see the real us. For 20 years, where was he? He never stepped forward until now. Watch what happens. Look what happens next to here. Verse 18. Jael, remember, mountain goat. She appears on the scene. Went out to meet Sisera. Total disarray. He's in total disarray. His army's killed. And all, he, and all is left is him. All his iron chariots are laying in the valley because they're floating in water. And says that Sisera said to him, Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and put a covering over him. Now, let me give you an Old Testament custom here. This is very important. Jael, the mountain goose, was standing at the front of her tent. She tells Sisera to come on in, and she covers him up. Let me tell you a little Old Testament background here, which is very important. A man is never to enter the tent of a female unless it's his wife or his daughter. So there will be no way that when Barak would come chasing after him, chasing after him. There would be no way that he would go into the tent of another woman and look unless someone said he was in there. Because during this time, custom says you never went into a tent unless it was your wife or your daughter. So Cicero thinks he's in good hands. I'm in the tent. I just got covered up by jail. Barack's coming. He'll never check here. They'll never find me. I got a hole in the ground and I'll never be found. Watch what happens next. Verse 19. Meanwhile, Sisera says, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of what? She's a mountain goat. Gave him a drink and covered him up. I don't know if you've ever exercised real hard and you've come back and you, maybe you've run a bunch of miles or maybe you've worked out. I mean, you're just exhausted and you're sweating. The, the thing that you want most is water just to replenish your body. And it just tastes so good just chugging down that water. Jail, the mountain goat, says, I don't have water. She gives him milk. Have you ever drank milk after a hard workout, after you've just been running all day and you just left the war zone? Imagine this. He's been running through the mountains. He came out of the valley. And when that milk got in his stomach, he got exhausted and he fell asleep. Watch what happens next. Verse 20 says this. Stand in the doorway of the tent, Sisera told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Just say no. Verse 21. But Jael, Heber's wife, sounds like something from Friday the 13th, right out of scripture. Look what happens. Picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the tent peg through the temple, his temple, into the ground, and he died. You bet he died. <laughs> Meanwhile, look at verse 22. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. 
Come, she said. I will show you the man you're looking for. Paul's right there. For a man of reputation. For a man that wants the applause of man. She says, stop, but I'll show you the man you're looking for. There was a moment in time, I believe, just a, just a short period of time where Barack is like, <gasps> look at me, look at me. And there was a moment he's like, the army is dead. And now I get to get Saddam Hussein. I am going to have reputation across this country. I will be on the front of every magazine in the near Middle East. But look what happens. Look what happens. Look what happens. Barack came in pursuit. Jael went out to meet with him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her. And there lay Sisera with a tent peg to his temple, dead. But it says, I mean, Hebrew is just dead. There's, and so he sees Sisera's dead. Remember those early words that Deborah gave to Barak in verse 9? She said, the honor would go to a woman. I want to say, Brock, you know that glory you wanted isn't going to show up because God said, because you weren't willing to step through it when I asked you to and do it yourself and lead like you're supposed to lead, that the honor would go to a woman. It just isn't happening for him. The thing that he wanted the most would never be realized because he was more interested in protecting his reputation than his character. On a day that there should have been a great celebration, on a day that he should be, be excited on a day that Barack should have been saying, yes, Lord. It ends up being a big letdown because what he wanted the most to be liked by the people and the applause of man would never happen. It would go to a woman named J.L., a mountain goat. Look at verse 22 and 23. 23 says, on that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites. And the hand of Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. A person of character has no need for recognition from man. There's an interesting twist on this story. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. Please turn there. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the great hall of faith. It's like a listing of all the people of, of, who have done great things for God. And so in this list are name after name of people who, who like we remember hundreds of years later. And in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 32, look whose name appears. Verse 32 says this. The author says this, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about who? Who's the man? Gideon. Or who? Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released. I keep reading. Where's Deborah? She's got to be here, isn't she? 
And I keep reading, I keep reading, I keep reading. And they, she's not here. It's like, wait a minute. Did they forget? Maybe, maybe they, she must be somewhere here in Hebrews chapter 11. What the world is Barak doing here? Where's Deborah? How come Deborah's not mentioned? How come Barak is mentioned and Deborah isn't? For hundreds of years later, they're still talking about Barak. What about Deborah? Deborah was the person of character. Barak was the person of reputation. I got to believe this. If you were to ask Deborah why her name isn't there, she would say, I don't care if it's there. Because I know there's a day I stand before my creator God and the glory that he gave me will be realized that day in his presence when he says, well done. You see, here's the problem with us. When we live to save face and reputation, when we live in such a way that what people say about us is more important than what God says about it, we put the control back in the people's hands and there will come a day when someone will say something about your reputation that will destroy you. But if you live trying to please God and the character of God, he will exalt you, they will tear you down. Now think about this for a second. Every day each one of us struggles wanting to be the poster child. To be the upfront person, to be known, to like, just mention me, just like, I mean, can I just have something about me? I mean, can I just like have a one little paragraph in the newspaper? How come their kids, how come there's always pictures of their kids? Can't you just have a bumper sticker like the, I was mom of the month instead of some other kid being kid of the month at Chamberlain? The moment we live to please man and keep our reputation is the moment we lose our identity in Jesus Christ. I think Deborah is fine with this if you were to ask her when you see her in heaven one day. Because she was a woman of character. Maybe, just maybe, you find yourself today not getting credit for what you've done. Is that such a bad thing? Maybe someone else gets credit for something you did. Is that really such a bad thing? Maybe someone else is taking credit for your idea. Have you ever been in that environment where you've created the idea when it comes time for recognition? Someone else surfaces and says, yeah, we were in a meeting and I thought, wait a minute. I thought about that idea. Maybe you never get recognized. A person of character isn't concerned about getting recognized by man. They're concerned about living for God. They're concerned about what he says when they see him face to face. Yet the moment we live to please man, it gives them the right to define us and a chance to destroy us. But the moment we live for character with God, is the moment we can stand confidently, literally unknown in this world amongst millions and billions of people who do not know us or even our name. And it's the moment we can stand and say, I don't need a plaque. I don't need a word of credit. I don't need any kind of recognition because we know that God's opinion matters the most. I think it's funny because Barack never got to read Hebrews 11.32. Because this is hundreds of years later. And the very thing 
that he wanted the most was the applause of man. He never got to read it in his lifetime. But Deborah wasn't interested in the applause of man, was interested in the applause of God. Her name never appears. And when she stands before the creator, God, I will guarantee you he will say, well done. Deborah left Judges chapter 5 and wrote a song about celebration, about the victory, with a grin on her face. I think Barak, who led an amazing victorious battle, left the battlefield empty because the credit went to a woman named after a goat. And he wanted the applause of people. To the guy who wanted all the glory, he ended up sharing it. I pray this, that we live to please God and not man. Or we will spend our entire lives living up to other people's expectations and possibly fall way short of what God intended us and we won't be called servants of Christ. I personally believe this to the moms who are unknown in this room whose names will never appear on Oprah who work as warriors behind the scenes, who wonder if anyone notices, I believe there'll be a day when you stand before the creator God and he will say, well done. Isn't that what matters? Moms go through hell and high water to raise their kids without any fanfare or hardly any recognition. Let me show you. Take a look at this. There are those who say that this is ordinary, but don't let that fool you. Mother will always be the bravest, least ordinary, most difficult, utterly challenging career that anyone ever hopes to lay claim to. While others might hear, diaper changer, food maker, laundry doer, carpooler, bottle washer, sweatpants wear, life on hold, want to be doing anything else, woman. The truth is, whether it feels like it some days or not, you are in fact a shelter from the storm. You are a cape of good hope. You are a warrior who will do battle for your children's hearts, souls, attention, innocence, education, and memories. Go to battle, my friends. This is your time. We will hold strong on either side of you. We will pray for those bottles through the dark watches of the night. And when doubt comes and children break, when adults fail them, and when they push and push as hard against us as the day we deliver them into this world, we will not be broken. We may ache and see cracks tear through our hearts. But we will get up again tomorrow and we will load the clothes and the words that need to be said again and again and again. And when the world tries to claw at them, to break them, 
to smash the beauty in them. May our walls hold true. May the lessons we've told, the truths we've lived, the life we've spoken into them come back easily, predictably, with wash and repeat ease. Kingdom business, Jesus work, this shaping of souls, this raising tiny humans. There are those that say this is ordinary. Don't buy it for a second. Mighty, you are mighty because you, mother. the world you may never get mentioned you may never be famous on this side of heaven your name may never appear in a newspaper or you may never get stage time but there will come a day that you'll stand before your creator God and you'll hear the words that mean the most not man's applause but God's applause. And he'll honor your character. He'll honor your brave, bold. Faith. And he'll say these words that will mean far more than any bumper sticker, any tweet, any Facebook message, any word from man any plaque, any credit. He'll say these words. Well done. You see, that's what matters. It matters not what man thinks. It matters what God thinks. I have a mom like that in my life. My mom will never appear on Newsweek. And you probably won't read her name in the paper and she'll never read it on the internet because she doesn't own a computer. But I'm convinced there'll be a day when she'll stand before our creator God and he'll say to her what he'll say to many of you. Well done, Bev, well done. Father God, I pray for this group that's gathered in front of me. I pray for the mothers, dear Jesus, who work late into the night and rise early and sometimes wonder if what they're doing is changing the world. Oh God, help them to see they're doing it one child at a time. 
I pray, God, today that they'll feel cherished and valued and honored and lifted up. I pray for a special dose of your blessing and favor upon their lives. And I pray, God, that you'll honor them for their character. I know, God, there'll be many of us who long to stand in their shoes at the Bema seat. Help us to honor our moms today, God. I pray, Lord, for your protection, your favor, and your blessing upon all the moms in this room, in the link, and around the world who live for character and not reputation. And I commit them to you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. See you next week.